0: Hey, this is John, and you're listening to the Mosaic Young Adult Podcast. To learn more about Mosaic Young Adults, visit us online at thisismosaic.org forward slash young adults. We hope this podcast is simply part of a greater conversation you have with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, we were not together last week, and I was sick the week before, so I'm really excited to be with you guys uh, as we go through our series through the book of Galatians. And we've called it so aptly, the gospel of grace. And it's because we see through Galatians that what binds disciples of Jesus, what, what binds people to the goodness and person of God is only grace. Everything that we experience and receive as, as, uh, from God as disciples of Jesus is grace. And so what we'll see tonight as we go through the text is that the Galatians have experienced this thing called grace and and just to remind ourselves of the definition that we're using uh, for grace in this series it will be right behind me grace is god's gift of unmerited ongoing and never-ending deposit of his power love and kindness towards his people that's really good stuff that's like You know after church on a Sunday that nap that you like just hits right you know what I'm saying maybe that's for those of us who are in ministry but 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 for those of you who love Chick-fil-a you know it's like getting an extra nuggy in your meal it's that kind of stuff or it's like it's like hitting green light after green light when you're running late for work like it's that kind of good stuff and the Galatians have experienced this goodness that is grace but the problem is, is that these, these false teachers have come into these, the, the, the southern churches of Galatia and have convinced the Galatians that the only way for them to experience and to continue to experience this goodness from God is if they uh, take on the Old Testament law. They, they were teaching the Galatians that it was through the Galatians' efforts, works, and perfect obedience to the law that would bind them to God, essentially, they were teaching them that their relationship with God was contingent on their ability to be perfect. Now what a fickle thing to establish a relationship on, right? Any perfect, perfect people in the room? Cool. I'm glad no one raised their hand. Uh, so like just think about any relationship in your life that is good and satisfying and full. If that relationship was suddenly to be focused on the premise, of you being perfect all the time, would you still be in that relationship? No, because, because a relationship based on you or me being perfect all the time would only produce anxiety and would bring crippling fear because you, because you know, like I know that we're not perfect. And so we'd mess up because we're human. And, and so suddenly our relationship become like that little kids rhyme with a little flower. Uh, he loves me. He loves me not. and She loves me. She loves me not. There's no freedom in that kind of relationship, right? But this is the kind of relationship that, the, that these false teachers were offering to the Galatians, a relationship that is based and founded on their performance before God, and they're buying into it because they've forgotten how God actually sees them. See, this, this past weekend, I had the privilege uh, of serving in kids ministry. Uh, anyone in kids ministry serve here? Yeah. Look at that. Shout out to kids men. Y'all do the very work of God. Like, special gifts for you and Evan. and so uh, i was able to serve with Braden and hannah uh, and emily ward and zach reader and for whatever reason uh they let me and if you know jason he serves in student ministry he's um i don't know why they let us in the room together uh how like these kids were definitely taking care of us and not the other way around uh, but listen, we, ju- we just had a blast. Like I genuinely had a blast. Like so much so that I, I was serving these three gatherings and I'm not telling you this to like make you feel good. Like I was, I was happy every single gathering to be with these kids. We were dancing and singing about Jesus. We were painting. I accidentally hit a kid in the face with a volleyball. He's okay. He's totally fine. And then we started reading Bible stories. Listen, it was great. It was a great Easter weekend. Um, but Easter, you know, we, we had four services so where we, we were here since 7 a.m. So um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm human and I need coffee and so I had my iced vanilla latte set and loaded, you know, I had it, and, um, and because I'm human, um, I needed a little bathroom break after my coffee, and so I, I step out the room, and I'm on my way to the bathroom, and as I'm walking towards the bathroom, I hear this blood-curdling cry, like, yeah! and I'm like, don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact, just keep going, just keep walking, but I do, But I do. I turn to my left, and I don't make eye contact with the baby. I make eye contact with the volunteer, and she's looking at me like, please come help, and I'm like, I can't help you. But I, so I go, and I'm like, yeah, can I help with anything? Turns out, I could not. So she's like, listen, I don't think this kid's going to make it. And what she was really saying was, she don't think she's going to make it. This kid's crying. And so she's like, go go get Emily, go get Carrie, go get a kids ministry staff person. So I go, and I come to find out this baby, his name was Sammy, someone, and he—he is his first time in, in kids uh, kids care, and so I'm trying to reassure him because he's probably freaked out. He's like I've never been here before. I don't know who these people are. Get me out of here. And so I, you know, I'm trying to reassure this two-year-old kid as best as you can communicate with a two-year-old. And so I ask him what any normal person would ask. I'm like, what do you want? You know, like. Why does that make you stop crying? And, 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 you know, he's crying. I'm trying to be more fatherly and I'm learning and I'm trying. And, and he, he just, eventually, after, you know, the snot and tears, he goes, I, I just want my papi, papi, I want my papi. And, and if you don't know Spanish, that means dad. So he just wants his dad. And, and it's, the thing is, this kid just, he's like a lot of us, he, he, just, he wants his source of, of safety and security. And that was his dad. And, that, and his dad is not there and he's just scared. He's just scared that his dad's never gonna come back. Like, how do you communicate to a two-year-old, no, he just just went away to get some space from you, now he'll, he'll be back, don't worry. And no matter how much he cried and yelled, this little boy was convinced that his dad wasn't coming back and and as i was prepping for this message this was the the image that i kept coming to my mind it's this little kid trying to get his dad's attention with all the energy his little body contained in the hopes that his dad would come back and he was just so scared because his little boy couldn't understand what he actually means to his father And there are many of us sitting in this room who relate to God in this exact same way because we don't understand who we mean and who we are to God. And so Paul makes this outlandish claim, yet truthful nonetheless. He says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, which we just read, he makes the claim that those who place their faith in Christ become children of God. So if you walk out of here with one thing tonight, just know that is who you are to God. You're his child. But what does it actually mean to be a child of God, right? Cause sometimes we just kind of throw it away. Like I am a child of God. I, you know, I, that's awesome. That's amazing. What does that, what does that mean? And it's an important question to ask because the way we answer this question will directly impact the way we relate to God. It will influence and ultimately determine our emotions, postures, and actions towards God. But you see, we, we all have different upbringings and understandings and family dynamics of what it means to be a child. Maybe you're the oldest child, so you were the most responsible one, or you're one of eight kids, so you felt like you weren't special. Maybe you had one parent at home or maybe you're part of a mixed family. And and so we have all these various influences that we look to, to, to help define what it means to be a child or to be a son or a daughter. But the problem that I think many Christians face today is that many of us have come to understand being a child of God as a performance based relationship where we're constantly trying to measure our distance or our, our closeness before God based on how moral or good we are. And then we become like this little boy in the story, like little Sammy, where we do everything we possibly can to get God's attention. And then we freak out when we're in need because we're not sure if we've done enough to actually make him come back to us and show up for us. And so then we're like, the little kids rhyme again in a little corner going, does God love me? Does he love me not? Does God love me? Does he love me not? And so Paul says, listen, that's not what it means to be a child of God. That to actually be a child of God is far more glorious and freeing than you could ever understand. And so he turns to the Galatians and says, let, let me tell you what it truly means to be a child of God. So Paul says again, as you said in, in verse 26, that, that be, you become a child of God through faith in Christ. Now, now, that's a very big statement to make because you see in the Old Testament, you read that there's only one way for you to be considered a child of God. To be a child of God, maybe you were part of ethnic Israel. You, you'd have to be Jewish born to be called God's child. And, and part of that reality is that you would have to follow the law or, or the Torah, the law. So that's why these false teachers are, are, are coming into these churches, advocating for the Galatians to follow the law once again. You see that the, the Christians in, in Galatia, in these churches were a mix of Gentiles, which are non-Jews and, 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 uh, and they would have been answering, asking the question, am I truly part of the family of God? Because I'm, a, I'm not a born Jew. And then you have these Christian Jews who, who've converted from Judaism to Christianity and they're wondering, hey, did I lose my position and regain it? Can I lose it because I don't follow the law? And so Paul's answer to them is if you're asking the question, are you a child of God to both categories? He's saying, yes, because you've placed your faith in Christ, not by what you've done. And so the Galatians are like, wait, hold on. I, you're telling me that all it takes to become a child of God is by placing faith in God in Jesus. That's it. And Paul's like, yes. And so you get this list in verse 28, Paul sends these little different, uh, like maybe hypotheticals like, okay, if you're a man, can you become a child of God? Yes, what if I'm a woman? Yes, Uh, what if I'm rich? Yes, what if I'm poor? But then these questions get a little deeper and you could ask these questions like, what what if I've slept around? Can, Can I be a child of God? Paul would say yes. So what if, what if, what if I'm a drunk? Yeah, you, you can, you can become a child of God. What if, what if I'm cutting myself? Yeah, you, you, you can become a child of God too. Well, what, well, what if I'm a terrible husband or wife? So, yeah, you don't get a pass. You can become a child of God. And, and whatever it is that you put after the if, what if I'm a this? Paul says you too can become a child of God through Christ. Because the moment you place your faith in Christ, this one beautiful thing happens, you become one with Christ. And this is what theologians would call union with Christ. It's this image that that Paul provides is like putting on Christ, almost like an article of clothing. You see, what you wear says a lot about you. And when I think about fashion, I think about the 2000s because that's when I was like trying to figure out how to dress because like I was like 10 and I didn't know and I was like, okay, well, who do I want to be? Let me tell you, 2000s were a wild time because the type of clothes you wore usually indicated what social group you were in. It's a little different now. Uh, The the kids, you know, that that were all black. Now we call them minimalists. Back then we called them emos and goth kids. Uh, Anyone remember Uggs? I think those are coming back. And not like Uggs, like the ugh, but like the Uggs, like the the boots that makes you feel like ugh when you see it. Yeah, those were strictly for basic white girls. And, uh, and, And my favorite store to hate growing up was Abercrombie. And back then, you had to call Abercrombie by its full name. It wasn't just Abercrombie. It was Abercrombie and Fitch, and they wanted you to say that full name. Cause if you were Abercrombie, it was because you probably could be a model or thought, at least you thought you were a model and people just love to hit you for it. So what does it say about you when you put on Christ? It says that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you're a child of God in Christ. Therefore, the most important thing about you is not your past or your friend group or your job or whatever social division you're a part of. The most important thing about who you are is Jesus. Because you were made a child of God, not based on who you were or what you've done, but by who you are in Him. And so what God has offered to us, and I think it's amazing because he's opened his heavenly kingdom. He's opened the doors wide open and he's saying to everyone, anyone who comes in Christ can have the concrete identity of being a child of God, regardless of your social status, your ethnicity, your gender, or your past mistakes. In other words, in Christ, you can have an identity that never shifts. Because unlike these other things that we use, in the social strata to define who we are, those things change, but Christ never changes. And so once a child of God, always a child of God. See, being a child of God means you have a concrete identity. And most people today struggle to experience joy and freedom because they're always asking the question, who am I? Who am I? Do I matter? Who am I to this person to that person? And so sometimes you end up having to be one person here and one person there and one person over there, because unless you're that person there and there and there, they'll never accept you. And so you actually end up wondering, who am I really? And so these people end up walking in these anxious circles being defined and redefined daily. And none of those definitions will provide them what with what they're longing for most. But a child of God is an identity and status that no one can change and no one can take away from you. But this hasn't always been our identity. You see, before children of God, before we were children of God, we, we belonged to someone else. As you move down in Galatians, the beginning of chapter four, verses one through four, Paul provides this image that describes who we were before we became a child of God. Paul says in, in Galatians 4, verse 3, I, I want to I read it together. He says this. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So what, what do elementary principles mean? They are the spiritual and physical forces that have been impacted by sin and their main goal is to enslave people. And so Paul is saying that before we encountered Christ, everyone here was enslaved and if you're not in Christ, is still enslaved to demonic influences and sin, which extends to the systems in our physical world like politics and social classes and sports and philosophy. Now, now here, I want you to hear me when I say this correctly. What I'm not saying is that our political system is demonic or that watching football on Sunday is a sin. Although it can be, but I'm not saying it is whatever. What I'm saying is that everything that you brush up against in your day to day life has been impacted, influenced and touched by sin. And it's this demonically influenced world that we were once slaves to. In reality, the devil who Jesus calls the father of all lies in John 8, 44, was our master. The devil used the world and its systems to enslave us to him. But and before Christ, this was our external reality. And Now, you might, you might hear this, right, and think, eh, super sorry. <coughs> you, you hear this and you think that, 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 that's, that the evil things are out there, that, that, that you were in a rather personal and neutral space, that, that you were just a, simply a good person enslaved to a bad thing. And that's the world. It's not you. You're not bad. They're bad. But the scripture paints a very different picture. Paul helps us see that our circumstances were more than just externally bleak. Our internal reality was even worse. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he writes this. It'll be behind me. Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three. Says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked We were slaves to this world. We were spiritually dead in our disobedience and rejection of God. We were following the devil and the direction of this world. And to make it worse in verse three, Paul says that before becoming children of God, do you know who you were? You were children of wrath. We were enslaved to the father of lies and and to this world. And it isn't that you didn't love it. You wanted it and you craved it. And then God does this, Galatians four, four and five. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Can you see? When we were slaves to the world, when we loved this world, when we were children of the devil, God pursued you. That's why God sent Jesus. This was was God's full pursuit of a people who loved death more than life. But God so desired for you to experience life that he'd sent his son. And so Jesus, verse four says that God sent Jesus to redeem those who were under the law. That word redeem, it's gonna be behind me. And the Greek is exagorazo. Can you say that with me? Yes. And it's a combined, <laughs> it's a combined word in the Greek that depicts this image. It's the image of a slave in the marketplace and someone comes along and says, I'll pay the full price. I'm not gonna haggle with you, slave owner. What do you offer it? I'll pay the full price. Whatever the slave is worth, I'll pay for it. Now get this. The fact that the slave is in the marketplace, meant that it meant nothing to the owner. Do you know what that means? See the world and the devil that once owned us and that we gave allegiance to, never cared about us. That's why a slave ends up on the auction block because they don't matter to the slave owner, but God, saw us in our desperation and in our rejection of him and so desired for us to have his goodness that he said, I will pay the full price. And God did not pay with gold and silver and money, but he paid with the very precious blood of his own life. We owe nothing to this world. And let me tell you, please, for a moment, if you would give your attention to me, no matter how much you chase the things in this life, it will never care for you the way Jesus could and us It never will. Author and pastor Tim Keller made this profound observation about Christianity. It says this, Christianity is unique among all the religions for it is about God's pursuit of us to draw us to himself. In every other religious system, people pursue their God hoping that through good behavior, keeping of rituals, good works or other efforts, they will be accepted by the God they pursue. But such is not true of our God. He has been continually pursuing you. And then God sent his son to free us from slavery and death. I love how the British poet Francis Thompson puts it. He says this, he wrote a poem called The Hound of Heaven. And he describes God's relentless pursuit of him in this life. And Francis describes God as the search dog who year after year and place after place comes in search for him. He writes that as he fled from God, he could not outrun those strong feet that followed with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace. And it's all a fancy way of saying that come hell or high water, God is coming for you. Nothing, and I mean nothing, will stop God from pursuing you. Nothing. I mean, really, what do you think you can do to make God turn from you? God pursued you when you hated him. God pursued you when you weren't even his, when we were children of wrath, he pursued when we weren't even thinking about him, we were on his mind. If God would pursue you when you were not his children, how much more will he pursue you when you're actually his child? He came for you once and he'll keep coming back for you. You are his child and he will pursue you. And so Paul wants us to know that we have a different kind of father. Not like the father of lies who put us up on the auction block and sold us to the highest bidder. We have a father who wants us. Paul says this in Galatians 4, 5. I just want to reread it again. God, the father sent Jesus to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Why, why is Paul saying this again? This, this statement that we're God's children. Well, the significance is, is, is in the word adoption. And that, that word adoption held a lot of weight in the time of Paul. In the Greco-Roman world, adoptions were an intentional decision not accident, out of desperation, you made an intentional decision as a parent and you would transfer one child from a family into your family. And they would become just like as if you were their biological children. And it was a legal agreement that could never be undone. So once you were their child, that was set in stone. And so more than that, adopted children were to receive all the same benefits and security that a natural born child would have. So they, the, so an adopted child would get an inheritance and a, a, they would be given assurance. They would be given the same kind of love the other children received. So why is Paul using this word to describe the, the relationship between the Galatians and God? It's because the adoption process begins with the desire of the one adopting. You see, the parent that adopts has the desire to give this adopted child all they have without the child ever worrying that they will lose access to these benefits or to the parents. See the Galatians have been worrying this whole time. What makes me a child? How will I, how I secure myself to God? Is it the law? Is it grace? What is it? Do I have to prove myself to God? And Paul says, no, the law can't be used to maintain your relationship to God because the law wasn't the reason why God adopted you. The relationship God shares with us begins with his desire for you and for me. And before you think for a moment, please, and I don't mean this in a mean way, but before any of us jump to think that there was something so intrinsically amazing about you, to make God say, yeah, I need that one in my family. Paul doesn't say that. If you were to ask God, like if you were to go to heaven right now, And you would say, God, why me? And if you're waiting to hear, well, because you were this, you were that, you were this, you were that, you did this, you were great here. No, all he'd say is "It's because I want you. Why are you my child? Because I wanted you to be my child. I mean, what a comfort. God just wants us. And Paul uses this word adoption to help us see that nothing will ever cause our relationship with God to be cut off because once an adoption is complete, it can never be undone. God wants you and nothing can cause him to stop wanting you. Nothing. This is why theologians through the centuries have called adoption the highest blessing of the gospel because it's a wonder that God saved us from God, but it's unimaginable that he would want you as his child. So let this sink in for you tonight. Being a child of God at the core simply means that he wants you. And I would imagine that many of us do not walk with God with this much love and warmth. A lot of our walk with God may be exhausting because we've missed this part of our relationship with God. You see, when you're not sure if someone wants you, you you do everything you can to become desirable. But when God adopted you, he knew exactly what he was getting with you. An imperfect, messy child. And that's you and me. But God made no mistake. Because to all that mess in your life, God still says, I want you. When you fail, he says, I want you. When you're prideful, I want you. When you show me your scars, I want you. When you reveal your baggage, I want you. And then like a good father, he says, let me show you a better way. Let me clean you up. Let me heal those wounds. Let me carry you. Let me take this thing that's hurting you. Let me give you this thing that will give you life. So God desires a relationship with us that is full of closeness and affection and generosity. And he provides us all of this to assure us that we can depend on him as our father. And that's why in verse six, this is what Paul says Begin, And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, Abba is the Aramaic word for father. A lot of us like to abuse this word and like to say, Daddy, God, stop. <laughs> True, I just needed to put it out there. Father, but not like cold and distant. And it's interesting that Paul uses this word because he could have just used the Greek word for, for father, pater. But the reason he uses this special word, this, this word, Abba, it's because Abba is meant to point us to the ultimate reality of what it means to be a child of God. You see, in every language and culture, right? Like every child identifies their caretaker in a very unsophisticated way, right? Like they don't, like when they want milk, they don't go, Father Theodore, can you pass me my milk? No, they go, da-da-ah-ah, ah, right? Like that's just what they do. And maybe they just go, da-da, and then they cry. Right? Like that's just all they know how to do. And if you're an aunt or an uncle or, or you have y- if you had younger siblings, uh, you, you know, even if you're not the primary caretaker, but the moment they see you as a caretaker, they, they, they break your name down to two syllables. And so my niece calls Rachel Ray Ray and I'm called Cece. Anyway, when, when, you, but see, when you were a child, when we were children, we were babies and you said, Baba, Mama, Dada, Gaga, Your little human heart was calling out towards the person who you thought would love you to the end. That's why when a child is in danger, they, what do they scream? Mama, Dada. There's this basic intrinsic desire in every human being to reach out to, to someone in the hopes that they would be loved perfectly. Reaching out to someone who is powerful enough to take care of you and to protect you. Someone you thought could provide safety by controlling things. We've been, and and the thing is, we've been searching for this person our whole lives. The problem is that every human that you and I have grabbed onto, beginning with our parents and continuing through other people, you know what they've shown you, right? that they failed you. They can't love you with that perfect love. And so when Paul says, Abba, he's saying that this this word displays our desperation for a perfectly loving person. Can you see it now? Paul has been getting at this whole time is that this perfectly loving person that you have been searching for your whole life, this whole time has already been pursuing you, and has found you and wants you to be his son and daughter. And that perfectly loving person is God, our Father. God wants you to fundamentally change the way you see him Because if you see God as the perfect father, then you'll know what it truly means to be a child of God. It means that God will always give you his love and mercy and grace. It means that he will show up for you and provide for you and love you. And you don't have to give him a reason. You don't have to convince him. And we think that he's been holding out from us and distancing himself from us, but God has been pouring his love for us through the Holy Spirit. And now God just wants us tonight to recognize that we are his beloved children with, he, with, with which he's loved with an everlasting love. And he finally wants us to believe it. God wants us to understand that he's the perfect loving one that we've been searching for our whole life. God is the father you have been looking for and through Christ, he is the father you can have. And nothing, truly nothing has changed my life more than this reality that God loves me. To come to the understanding that God loves me with an everlasting love that surpasses all my faults and flaws. You see, I'm finally, I can stand here and tell you I'm finally free from having to live my whole life as a performance. That the Galatians, these are the Galatians, they thought that to perform like some circus animals and make sure God was happy with them, but they missed the reality that God is their loving father and that through Christ, they are his children from ever. Can you imagine your life for a second, free from ever having to perform for love ever again? Can you? Cause instead of performing, God says, I don't need you to be a circus act. I want you to come to me, to run to me. I don't need you to perform. I want you to be my son and my daughter. I want to show you that your future is safe in me. So fear can leave. I want to. La- I want you to lay your burdens on me so I can show you that you don't have to carry it all. Come to me and receive my love. This is what the father has been saying to us all along. And there are some of you sitting here tonight who've been chasing love your whole life. And you've been let down time and time again. And no matter how hard you've tried to give people reasons to stick around, they fail you. And just know that God is pursuing you. The very thing that you've been running from your whole life is the very thing that you've been searching for. And I pray, that you'll let yourself be caught by God tonight. And there are other of us who are following after Jesus, but either do not know God as father or struggle to accept God as father. And this this is true for me. And a mentor of mine pointed me to this prayer in the book of Ephesians that that I've begun praying almost daily. And so I wanna offer this to you, for those of you who struggle to believe that God loves you, Like really loves you and wants you, that you struggle to believe that you don't have to perform. This is the prayer for you. Ephesians chapter three, verse 14 through 19. I just want you to sit for a moment, just listen, and then I'll pray for us. For this reason, I bow my knees before the father, for whom every family in heaven on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that, hear this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints that is the breadth and length and height in depth and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So may we surrender ourselves to the love of the perfectly loving father. Let's pray. Father, we just give ourselves to you tonight. We're done with the hiding. We're done with the angst. We're done with performing. We're done with trying to give you a reason to love us because it isn't working. May you teach us Lord that the reason it's not working is because we never had to prove to you that you should love us. I pray for us deeply tonight. Pray for this community that we would come to understand this love, to stop performing and to begin to live truly as children of God, sons and daughters of the King, as co-heirs of the kingdom, that every spiritual blessing is our inheritance, that everything that you feel towards Christ, you feel that way towards us, that we are your beloved children with whom you are well-pleased. Pray that you would give us the fullness of all that you are, through your love, by the power of your spirit, we pray, amen. Thanks again for spending some time with us on the Mosaic Young Adults podcast. Our hope for you is that Jesus will use this message you just received and direct your heart completely towards him. If you wanna hear more messages like this one, please feel free to check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes.